Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. And now, a word about the sponsor of our podcast, Anchor. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, Nina. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. Let's start off the episode by having you introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit. Hi, my name is Nina Wilson. I use she, they pronouns. I'm a third year student in college. This is actually my first quarter at UCSB. I transferred from Bakersfield College. My family lives in Ridgecrest and I'm with them right, living with them right now, but I went to Bakersfield College so I could swim in, in college. I was actually swimming year round for about seven years before COVID started. So that's yeah. so cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. How are you liking UCSB so far, even though it's online? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. It's really, everyone's been really nice and I've got really good professors this quarter. So yeah, I wish I could be there like in person in Santa Barbara mm-hmm. instead of the little town I'm in, but <laughs> you know, get there. It's, it's safer right now to yeah. because of COVID stuff. Definitely. So um, what we're going to be talking about today, as you guys can tell by by the um, title, is we're going to be talking about sex and gender in osteology. So I'm curious what got you interested in majoring in anthropology and then specifically taking osteology classes? Yeah, oh, I kind of similar to you. I like the show Bones a lot. And (laughs) yeah, I was just really interested in like Dr. Brennan's like her skills being able to just like know so much from people's bones that when I like looked into anthropology as a field, I realized that um, I found like other stuff like cultural anthropology and archaeology interesting too. So that's what I ended up majoring in. And osteology, um, I don't know, I guess I've always just been pretty interested in bones. Like the skeletal system is really cool and it's amazing how much you can learn from just people's bones. Definitely. I agree. It's good to hear someone else that loves the show Bones because I literally talked about in the last episode, you get one of two answers. You literally get someone being like, oh, I love it. Or other people that are like bioarch, they're like, oh, I can't even watch it. Like it annoys me, like the inaccuracies. And I'm like, come on, we can still love, we can still love Bones. Um, yeah, I, I haven't watched it since, I watched it in high school. So when I was first watching, I'm like, oh, what are all these sciencey terms? And then I like took a class on human anatomy and I was like, oh, now I know what bones and like posterior and anterior mean. And then, yeah, it's, I'm sure if I watched it now, it'd be pretty cringy, but it's yeah. still like, uh, all those like 12 seasons were special mm-hmm. to me back then. <laughs> Definitely. Now when I rewatch it, cause I'm a big rewatcher of shows is now I just watch it for like the storyline and the, the love stories and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 
what we're going to be specifically talking about today is your research project that you did for our seminar class, which is called Advanced Methods in Osteology, and it's taught by Dr. Danielle Curran, who came on the podcast, and I did my presentation, in case anyone is curious, on um, trauma and uh, ballistic and blunt force trauma, so that was that was fun, and Nina presented a fabulous presentation um, and led our discussion, because it's a discussion section, so we do our presentation, but then we engage with the class on sex and gender and osteology, and I thought, well, this is a great topic to talk about on the, on the podcast, um, you know, it's super important that we're including we're not just sticking to the accepted science. We're trying to constantly move forward and improve our inclusion in science. So uh, what inspired you to focus on this area of research? I think just like LGBTQ plus studies and stuff like that is really interesting. I've always, I never learned much about like any of this stuff growing up. So it's been really interesting to learn about it. Like in college, I, um, I took a class on cultural anthropology, and our teacher was talking about different cultures, um, diff- gender in different cultures, and that stuff was super interesting. And I think overall, this stuff is just very understudied or, like, ignored, especially, like, trans and intersex people in, um, um, in, for- in forensic anthropology. That stuff's, like, yeah, it's almost ignored. I try and find information on it to talk about it here, but there's just not that much stuff. But, yeah, I think it's important because uh, people are trans and gender nonconforming people have existed in all times and places and there we're going to come across their remains and their parts they're important parts of every culture so I just think it's important and interesting to study definitely as anthropologists we have to study all humans we can't just pick and choose um yeah. also I wore my bones necklace today in specific I was like we're going to be talking about oh. bones it's a little rib cage so we're going to begin by discussing kind of the spectrum of gender identity and expression and go over some of the terms that she'll be using throughout her discussing her research because, you know, even if you are familiar, there are a lot of people that aren't familiar and it's good to kind of make sure we're on the same page about what terms mean, what correct terms are to use when we're discussing uh, trans and intersex people. So you can take it away, Nina. Okay, nice. So um, it was like a PowerPoint presentation in class. So I have a slide that kind of shows um, biological sex, gender identity, gender expression, and gender presentation and sexual orientation on like um, spectrums. And I they think I just want to emphasize that these are all different things that your biological sex doesn't equal your gender and your gender identity doesn't equal your gender expression. You can dress however you want. That doesn't mean you're any, that doesn't mean what your gender is. And then gender presentation and like sexual orientation, those are all different things. Um, so yeah, if this was like more visual, I could show my little spectrum pictures, but it, yeah, it's all on spectrums too. It's not on a straight line. It isn't that like non-binary is halfway between man and woman. It's uh, non-binary, like anything that's not man or woman, that's not completely man or woman is non-binary. So it's, yeah, they're all different spectrums. So some of my, my terms I have here, um, first term is sex, which is biological characteristics, chromosomes, internal and external organs, and bone shapes. Examples of these of sexes are male, female, and intersex. Um, the second term I have is sex or gender assigned at birth. So when you're born, the doctor usually says, oh, it's a boy, it's a girl. So examples of this are assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth, often written out AFAB or AMAB or AMAB. <laughs> um, usually people 
who are intersex aren't necessarily assigned a gender at, or aren't assigned intersex at birth. Often intersex people are um, given uh, surgery made without their parents' knowledge and without their consent because they're often babies when that happens. So even if you're intersex, um, you probably were assigned male or female at birth. So my third term is intersex, which is a combination of male and female characteristics. Um, oftentimes in academic research, people use kind of offensive in or out of date terms. So I've often seen people use hermaphrodite to describe intersex, and that's not the correct terminology. Intersex is really the word we wanna be using here. Um, gender, gender is like your personal identity. It can't really be assigned to you by anyone but yourself, and it's often culturally defined. So some examples of genders are man, woman, non-binary, agender, and gender fluid. There's kind of, there's not a set amount of genders. It's just like a spectrum where people feel the most seen and the most like what word fits best with them. So non-binary. And then that's that's what we talk about when we're discussing how osteologists can determine biological sex from remains, but we cannot determine truly gender. We can make assumptions, but we cannot um, from the shape of a pelvis or uh, from the characteristics on a skull determine gender. So I think that's definitely important when in what we're going to dive further into. Yeah, for sure. So my next term here is non-binary and other like terms to me non-binary are gender non-conforming, gender queer, and two-spirit is a term for indigenous North American people. So this means you're not a man or a woman. You might be both. You might be neither. You might be a non-binary woman or a non-binary man. It just means you're not just a man or just a woman. Um, And the term we're not using for two-spirit is veridash. I've seen that used a lot in anthropology. Um, It's a term that two-spirit people do not identify with. It was given to them by colonizers and anthropologists, not a term that they decided for themselves. Two-spirit, from all I know, could be a very old term that they've used for before um, contact with colonization. So yeah, that's just the preferred term if you're talking about Um, non-binary indigenous people and some indigenous people who are trans do choose to use like trans man or trans woman instead of two-spirit but that's just um, a term that exists in that culture and those cultures Um, so transgender is our next term Um, and transgender is when your actual gender is different from your gender assigned at birth so um, on my powerpoint I'd used um, f to m m to f meaning like female to male male to not um, to female which are used to be terms, but I've learned recently that those are kind of going out of date, like those aren't being used as much, Um, but but I think they're still kind of helpful. So I'm using them in this PowerPoint, but I've seen ones before they might be becoming kind of older. It might be just better to call people um, a trans man or a trans woman instead of FTM or MTF. But um, for transgender people, more, um, more specifically, we're not using the terms transsexual or transvestite. I see those used in academic writing and those are considered offensive and out of date. So transgender, transgender person, not just calling someone transsexual. Um, And our final term is cisgender. So cisgender means you're not transgender and that's when your sex and gender assigned at birth match your actual gender. And most people are cis. (laughs) I just, something I wanna point out to our listeners as I'm looking at this PowerPoint is she didn't even spell out like the words they're in you know, with the, with the stars as if, you know, we put a curse word and that's because they are offensive and they are, you know, not out of, um, not that they were ever in, (laughs) in, but out of date, no longer 
uh, should be colloquial, oh, I, I keep trying to say this word, not a term that should be colloquially, yeah, colloquially used. Oh, <laughs> gosh. It's like a great word to describe things, and I just can't say it. Yeah, colloquial, yeah. Yeah, all right, you guys know what I mean. As I previewed on the podcast last week in the episode about bones, I kind of discussed the defining osteological characteristics of male versus female skulls and pelvises. Um, And as I also, I'm in a little terminology review, um, osteococci is the anatomical term used for the pelvis, um, the bones of the pelvis. So there are issues that present themselves when you only have two categories, male, female, to classify remains as. So Nina is going to go over some of those characteristics. We're going to do a little review on that. And then also what those um, issues are that present themselves in academic research and anthropology when we only have male and female to classify remains as. Okay. Yeah. So um, ways to tell the sex of a skeleton can be with the pelvis, um, the general size of bones. Sometimes both like bulkier bones can be indicative of someone being male and um, their skull the different parts of the skull, like the mandible, mastoid process, slopes of the forehead, suborbital margin, can all identify, uh, can all be indicative of sex. So, um, yeah, so for the pelvis, um, it's usually just um, a wider pubic arch for females. It's just um, a pelvis that's wide enough to give birth through, pretty much, and male um, pelvises are just usually um, slimmer and longer. And for the skull, we have um, Females have sharper um, upper orbital margins, um, smaller brow ridges, and more vertical foreheads, um, smaller mastoid process, and oftentimes um, a wider jaw angle. It's just like a more pointed chin and a smaller jaw. And then all the opposite of that for a male, I guess. (laughs) Problems with sexing bones like this, of course. Problems that um, uh, with sexing bones include um, the existence of intersex people, and not everyone is male or female. Um, bones um, are more likely to look female, like incorrectly labeled bones are more often labeled female because human bodies develop first as female in the womb. So, and also bones can change over time. If a man loses a lot of his teeth from his jaw, his jaw will become slimmer and look more um, female. So yeah, and also it's hard to sex children's bones. So that's another reason why sexing yeah. bones isn't good. It's um, darn near impossible to sex children's bones. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and so the, the, also the part of this is, is that the scale that osteologists use and the scale that both Nina and I have been taught in classes is a one to five scale. So you're putting, um, hyper feminine on the one side and hyper masculine on the five. And that quite literally does allow for the three and the existence of the three where you're not classifying it as male or female. But the issue is, is that lots of times anthropologists will just write those, like say they have 50 sets of remains and they classify 25 as female and they classify 23 as male and they have two that they classify as threes, right? They'll just write that off as error rather than actually investigating what the implications are of that, what this may have meant in this society or further, you know, what they, what their gender may have been. Um, Sorry to interrupt you, but Go ahead. No, keep yeah, going. You're good. I was going to say, yeah, a solution is putting bones on a scale from one to five instead of just labeling the male and female. But yeah, obviously mm-hmm. using a one to five scale is still isn't perfect. Like <laughs> it's pretty much what you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, osteologists could still ignore intersex people using that. 
Um, so this is more about sex. Um, the slide I have here is about intersex people. So um, people often say, oh, there's only two genders, male and female. <laughs> well, and that's not true. There's, there's in fact five common sexes. Um, so five common chromosome combinations are X, roughly one in 2,000 people to one in 5,000 people have the X chromosome, and that, or just the X chromosome, and that's often known as Turner syndrome. Um, XX is the most common form for females. Then we have XXY, which roughly one in 500 to one in 1,000 people have, and this is known as Klinefelter's. Um, XY is the most common chromosome for males. XYY is roughly one out of 1,000 people have this chromosome combination, and XXXY, roughly one in 18,000 or one in 50,000 people have this. So that's the least rare, but yeah, those are six different chromosome combinations that people have that just prove that sex isn't binary. Yes. Um, and, and, that there's, and from those numbers, you can see that it's not just a small percentage. It is a um, quantifiable percentage of our population that we shouldn't just be ignoring yeah. in academic research. It's quite a yeah, few it's, individuals. It's like one, per, one to two percent of the population is intersex. So that's about the same amount of people who have red hair. So if you know people with red hair, you know people who are intersex. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, intersex skeletons also vary a lot. Some have mixed male and female bones. Other appear totally male or female because internal organs and chromosomes are not visible. And, oh yeah, but um, yeah, new DNA analysis tell, um, can allow us to tell the chromosomes of old skeletons so it could show us if they have intersex chromosomes. But yeah, intersex traits are, can be mixed and you can't always tell. So there's not enough research on sexing intersex skeletons. Um, in the reading, a geometric morphic study of sexual dimorphism in the human hip bone, Robertson, the author, theorizes what some interse intersex skeletons may look like. So people with an X chromosome have female characteristics. People with XXY have smaller and wider hip bones. People with XX, which are the typical female chromosomes, um, have, can have mas masculine genitalia. And those people who have the female chromosomes but masculine genitalia mm. likely like they have a male pelvis. So, yeah. And I'll make sure ways. to have that reading linked below. But yeah, that's very that's very interesting that especially when we're talking about you know chromosomal level that we can define XX as typically female, but then they still have um, a male shaped male pelvis and male yeah. genitalia. Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah because sex can be defined by a number of biological characteristics, and if your biological characteristics aren't all typically female or all typically male, that would classify someone as intersex. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and most intersex people don't know they're intersex. Like people will know because if they're told they're like female at birth and then they like never get their period and then they realize they're growing facial hair, they could realize they're intersex. But a lot of people just don't know because mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's just not that steady. So one of my favorite parts of your presentation in class and something that I found uh, the most interesting, something I had not learned about at all in my studies was um, the information you presented on gender in other cultures um, and other cultures that widely accept, you know, a third or fourth uh, gender other than male, female. So tell, let's go through that. Tell us all about that. Some genders in other cultures that aren't binary. Um, the Fafine of Samoa. Um, they're like trans feminine people. 
Um, Katuis or Katuis, they are trans feminine people in Thailand and they are legally recognized third gender. Um, Two-spirit people and indigenous people in North America. Um, the Navajo culture in America has four different genders. Um, man, woman, masculine, female body, Nadile. Also, I don't know if I'm pronouncing all these gender names right. They're like in different mm -hmm. languages almost. And then, sorry, the fourth gender there would be feminine, bo feminine male-bodied Nalide. Um, the Hui culture in Papua New Guinea, um, I'll go more in depth than that in a second. Then we have the Haraja um, in India, and they are legally recognized third gender. And I don't, I don't like the idea of just saying a gender is a third gender because like the ideal would be that there's not a set number of genders. People just are who they are, but mm -hmm. like they're legally recognized as a third gender, like through the government. So it's kind mm -hmm. of different than that. Yeah. But, it's important um, to at least um, understand why it's being referenced that way. Yeah. And then also the, so the Hua culture in Papua New Guinea, um, they have four genders there, man, woman, Fikpa, and Kakura. Um, in this culture, new is transferred through sex throughout a lifetime, and it changes one's gender. So a person who's Fikpa receives a feminine energy. So if you're a small child, um, an old man, or a young woman, or older woman with less than three kids, so people who have spent more time around women, and Kakura are people who've received male energy. So young men and elderly women with at least three kids are Kakura. So their gender is changing over time. So it's mm -hmm. very different than our system. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's it for the other genders I have listed on here. Of course, there's way more. I just don't have mm -hmm. every, everyone listed on here. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I tried to explain in the beginning, and I think everyone should understand is, I like to have people on the podcast that are in all different stages stages of research. And, you know, this is research that we both did in different capacities for our class. And I think that that's really cool because, you know, we were, she was able to educate our class as I was with my information on trauma. But, you know, now I'm like, Ooh, maybe I should try and get someone that studies like a cultural anthropologist that like studies, you know, like the Hiraja or something. That would be cool. So now it's, it's making me like spark, further <laughs> ideas for the podcast. So I think it's, I think it's great. And I, you know, I really think it's great that you did your own research on, I mean, were you aware of those other, um, in other countries, like before you started doing this research? Um, yeah, my cultural anthropology class I had my okay. freshman year of college, my teacher had a gender section and she talked about some of these, like the Fafine, um, and the Hua culture in Papua New Guinea. Like that's where I knew them from. I found my old notes. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, so the last, uh, one of the last topics we were going to discuss is how trans people are represented or underrepresented in forensic cases and some of the pervasive problems in that field. Yeah, trans people are just underrepresented in forensics and just um, disrespected in general. Like um, in the past, trans people who have been found murdered have, people haven't bothered to like solve their murder because they knew, especially like trans women or trans feminine people who are might be trans non-binary or trans um, women that they have it worse definitely um yeah most trans and cis people are murdered at similar rates except for young transgender women of color who are murdered at higher rates so yeah there's definitely um a lot of issues there they experience racism misogyny transphobia altogether. um 
But yeah, um, some ways you can identify someone who's trans or who's, um, if they've undergone gender confirmation surgery. So things like top surgery, bottom surgery, hormones and facial feminization can show that someone has um, gone gender confirmation surgery. Um, facial feminization surgery leaves marks on the face, but yeah, there's ways to indicate that someone is trans. Like, I think there's an episode of Bones where she's like, <laughs> I don't know, I, I haven't watched it in a long time, but she was like, oh, the bone, it's a man. Wait, but it has, oh, it's not a man? And then she was like, oh, yeah, I do remember that episode. They were, they said, um, pelvis shape because the bone oh gosh um it was a trans it's gonna be a little gnarly but exactly how. Yeah, yeah this is gonna be a little gnarly but um it still had flesh on the body so they visibly had breasts and um a, a vagina but the, the pelvis shape was male so they oh. had this big debate i do remember that on the episode of cam who does the uh toxicology and tissues she was like the tissue indicates female and uh dr brennan who focused on the bones go but the bones indicate male, which is a great example of how, you know, in forensics context, that would, could be an issue. But they, they would have been, maybe had surgical markers on their mm-hmm. face for facial feminization. Like people who are like transmasculine and take testosterone, that's overall a stronger hormone and that changes your face. They grow facial hair. They don't usually have to get facial surgery, but estrogen, especially if someone is a, a tr- older, when they transition to trans women is older, when they get gender confirmation surgery, I mean, that um, they would probably get facial feminization and that would leave marks on their their face just because estrogen isn't as strong of um, a hormone. So it won't change their, um, it won't change their appearance as much. But yeah, but yeah, overall, there's just a lack of respect for trans people who've been murdered like historically and just unsolved murders of trans people. Um, yeah, and uh, there's a podcast I know of. I haven't really listened to that much of it, but it's called Trans Panic, the podcast, and it's hosted by two trans people, and they talk about trans murders. So if oh, you're more interested... Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love to give recommendations on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that's something the listeners are, like, interested in learning about more of, like, they would definitely know more more about this than I would because they've been hosting a podcast on it. When we opened discussion in our class about was really how do we feel that as anthropologists and scientists moving forward, we can better represent people and better represent people that don't conform to the gender binary in our research. So not that I expect you to have the answer to that because it's a very complex question and I think it needs to be asked of every scientist and of every anthropologist or every osteologist in particular, but do you have any just like ways that we can improve like our way of thinking and everything yeah yeah Yeah, I think there's I don't think there's one solution that will just change everyone's minds I think Mm -hmm. um the like systems of heteronormativity the binary sex gender system have been (laughs) randed to our brains since we were born (laughs) like you know gender reveal parties you're born and they're literally like now you are this gender Mm -hmm. and they force hypermasculinity onto a small child, you know, but (laughs) I think overall, just understanding that things aren't so binary, um, knowing that you can't accurately assign sex and gender to all the modes, especially gender, like you can, with relative certainty, you can assign sex, but gender is not something you can accurately assign to bones all the time, but there are some fairly accurate ways to estimate that. Um, Consider when you're doing work, either 
forensic anthropology or bioarchaeology that bones can be trans and intersex. And we just need more um, research on intersex, trans, and non-binary people. I also, um, I think we are just putting our perspective onto the past too much. Like we choose to interpret the past through our modern view of things. I wanna bring up this, um, this is an article I came across a while ago from Gay Times. And it talks, it's an article called Hungary plans to ban same-sex couples from adopting children. And in the article, um, uh, someone said um, that new modern ideologies of the Western world raise doubt about the creation of male and female sex and endanger the right of children to have a healthy development. Um, this isn't true, like same-sex um, same parents, queer couples are great parents for adopted children, but also um, the gender binary is a new concept enforced by Western ideology and religion. So binary sex, gender, heteronormativity, androcentrism, androcentrism, et cetera, are new concepts. In places like Africa that are known for being, having heavy anti-LGBT legislation are only like that because of colonization, Western missionaries, and new stuff. Like, um, yeah, so for example, I have this um, post. This is a post on Instagram by Alok V. Menon, and it's a, a summary of the book, The Invention of Women by Oronke Oyewumi. I might have said that wrong. But um, the main, it's a book about the Yorba people in Africa and how gender was, um, gender binary was pushed onto them. It talks about how they didn't always have the gender binary. They, um, where they had terms like uberin and ukurin for like reproductive roles, but they didn't have a social hierarchy with like strict power roles. But um, when Western people came to colonize, they enforced strict binary onto them. Women lost rights and like, like um, rights to education, rights to their money as a binary was enforced. And people changed their gods who had previously not had a gender to like male. So yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah. So not every place had gender initially, like the word gender was invented in 1950. <laughs> and the gender binary is a newer concept. People were just kind of more fluid before in the past. Um, homophobia and transphobia are newer things. But I just think that we shouldn't be interpreting the past through these types of views. Like when you see a culture, you shouldn't assume that they're a patriarchy culture, that like men were necessarily the leaders or that trans people didn't exist there and stuff like that. I think Definitely. that could help archaeologically. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that info with us today on the podcast. It really was a pleasure to have you on. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun <laughs> being here. <laughs>